0: The Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans, by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Monday, October 9th, we're studying Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7-19. to 19. In today's text, the author of Hebrews brings up the words of the Holy Spirit from Psalm 95 in order to call the congregation that they would exhort each other to faithfulness and keep their hearts from being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Jeff Hemmer. Pastor Hemmer serves at Bethany Lutheran Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, and he is also the assistant to the president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Pastor Himmer, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Great to be with you, Pastor Apple. As we get started today, Pastor Himmer, give us some context, anything we need to know about the epistle to the Hebrews and what's been talked about leading up to this section to help us with this part of chapter 3.
1: Yeah, so uh, where we've been so far, uh, he the uh, the author, the anonymous author of the book of Hebrews, and we won't weigh in on uh, on who that author might be, um, but he, he he's got a very tightly woven argument, um, and, and he's been, in chapters one and two, he's been talking about what what Christ's incarnation and then his crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension has done for our humanity, that now, now our humanity is exalted even above the angels, and, and at the same time that, that he's laying out this Christological anthropological argument, he also weaves in um, a couple warnings since since this is what you have been given, don't forsake it. You have this this remarkable treasure. So for instance, chapter 2 begins very much like our section in chapter three begins. chapter two is therefore, because of all all the argument up until that point about, Christ's incarnation, um, because he does for man what he has never done for angels. Therefore, we must pay close attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Um, and so that, that's very... And then he'll, he'll return back, back to his argument um, about uh, Christ and his incarnation and what that does for man, and he'll quote there in chapter 2 from Psalm 8 with the question what is man, that you are mindful of him, um, and, then, and then he'll sort of return uh, to a warning in the middle of chapter 3. At the beginning of chapter 3, there's a, a contrast between Jesus and Moses, so now, now we draw on uh, the, the imagery of God's people being led through the wilderness, um, and... How now, now the one who is greater than Moses is here. Um, he has made us his his own dwelling place. Um, Moses was faithful over God's house, but but now Christ is faithful over God's house, not as a servant, but as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. So, in the middle of the last verse. Uh, of the first part of chapter 3, there's a, there's a conditional there, right? We are his house if, indeed, we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. So that, that condition is faith, um, and that, that will be where the argument that he lays out here in the second half of chapter 3 ends up on, on the necessity of faith. So at the beginning here, it'll be exactly another warning, just like the warning at the beginning of chapter 2, um, and, and if we sort of uh, zoom out a little bit, this, this warning about losing one's faith, about acting in unbelief and, and rebellion against God, that's, that's part of this whole argument that, that the, uh, the letter to the Hebrews is making, such that we'll get a, a much fuller um, view of that argument and a, and a more thorough warning... It's sort of, it's, it's growing up. You get a little bit in two, a little more in three, and then in, by the time you get to chapter 10, there's a big warning about deliberately refusing to meet together. So it's in, it's in the gathering of the people together where we hear the word, where Christ sends his preachers to us, where we are given this inheritance and baptism, fed and nourished for the journey that we are on until God brings us into his, his new heavens and new earth, brings, them to, brings his renewed heavens down to earth, raises us from, from the grave, from the dust of our dying or decaying bodies. And we have a, a warning there about excluding ourselves from the people who gather together in order to hear his word and, and be held steadfast as his people.
0: Hmm. Yeah, So, so we're at this...
1: the beginning of the crescendo, so to speak.
0: That's right. That's right. Yeah, and I think even with as we'll see with the text from Psalm ninety five that's quoted today, when we consider the entirety of that Psalm, the thought of God's people coming together in Psalm ninety five is a big part of that. Let us let us sing into to the Lord. Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. That's going to again the beginning of the crescendo that's heading up to to chapter ten, as you said. So we can explore some of those thoughts as we think about Psalm ninety five and the way the writer uses it in our text for today. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. That's our text for today. That's Hebrews 3, verses 7 to 19. Pastor Hammer, our our text begins with a a citation from Psalm 95, but before we consider Psalm 95, what's there, the historical background, just the way that the author introduces this quotation, I think is significant. He says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, he doesn't say, I mean, he could have said it is written, or God's word teaches, or the psalmist says, but he, he chooses to put it this way, as the Holy Spirit says. Talk about that, just the introduction to the text. Yeah, so I
1: mean, we we confess that all Scripture is breathed by God, um, and it is it is the Holy Spirit who works through the mouths and the hands and the pens of men to compose the Word of God in in its written form. So this is just a, a powerful um, confession about the nature of the Word um, that that despite it's, it's being written by a human, um, so that, right, Psalm 95 has a, has a human composer. Um, nevertheless, it is, it is the Spirit who speaks through the Word. So, I also, it's noteworthy that it's mentioned here almost as an aside. He's not making an argument about the inspiration of Scripture, um, but he's just assuming the inspiration of Scripture— such that it's it's not even part of his argument for him to say, Therefore the Holy Spirit says. It's it's just it's well known that, that the scriptures are the very word of God given by the Holy Spirit through the the work of their human authors, but they remain the very word of God himself.
0: Yeah, so yeah, the, just the way that he says it, as if it's—everybody knows this, so I'm just going to say it like that—is is remarkable, something I think we would do well to imitate still in our, our preaching and speaking as Christians today. And even also the way that, you know, as the Holy Spirit says, the present tense nature of this, especially thinking forward to what's coming in chapter 4, that the living—that the Word of God is living and active, that it, it's not simply that the Holy spirit said this for the people of Israel long ago but this is also the holy spirit speaking this to you hebrews listening to this this text right now yeah
1: absolutely and that's i mean that's telling too that he understands his his work here is also inspired by the spirit that it is what he's writing for the church is also by the work of the holy spirit and it's not yeah excellent excellent point that it's not a past tense, the Spirit has, has said this in the past, um, but that Psalm 95 is still the Spirit speaking to the audience of, of the letter to the Hebrews, it's also still speaking to us. I mean, it's, it's part of our um, morning liturgy, the Venite, um, part of our, our uh, order for matins, includes this, this sort of uh, call to gather and to sing, um, that is that is part of Psalm 95. Conspicuously, our Venite leaves out the part that we'll get to here in a minute. Um, but you can't you can't have just part of a psalm, right? You can't have just part of a of a song lyric. Um, as soon as someone you know gives you that that little earworm, right? Just enough of a of a hook that the whole thing embeds itself into your brain, and suddenly you're singing words that, that maybe were not quoted to you. So, so it is with the Psalms as well, that you you receive them as a whole, um, a whole poem, a whole
0: song. So even though we only get part of it here, you're, you're right to direct us to the whole thing. Okay, so, so as you mentioned, this Psalm, Psalm 95, shows up in our morning worship in Matins, as we call it, the Venite, the the first part of it in Latin is, is often how these songs are named liturgically. So as you pointed out, though, this is a part of the psalm that we don't sing, at least in the setting of the Venite that we have in Lutheran service book. So give us that more full background of what Psalm 95 says as a whole, the parts that we know, and then how that leads into this part that is quoted here that maybe we don't know quite as well.
1: So Psalm ninety-five would have been uh, a psalm that the people um, would sing together for those traveling festivals, and I think the the footnote in the study Bible says, for instance, uh, the the festival of booths or tabernacles. So one one where you're you're going to Jerusalem, um, and it is you know the language of the psalm is is carefully chosen for such an occasion um, because it it implies movement. Where, where are we going? Come, let us sing to the Lord, let us come into his presence. So you have, you have this twofold um, invitation. The one is, is to come into the Lord's presence, and the other is what, what to do in his presence, let us sing. Um, and then verses 3 and 4 give you the rationale. Why should we come into the presence of the Lord? and why should we do so with joyful noise and songs of praise? Because he, the Lord, is a great God. He is king above all gods. He holds in his hand the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are his, the sea is his. Why? He made it. His hands uh, were were the very hands that formed the dry land. Um, And then for us, what is uh, the conclusion of the Venite, let us worship and bow down, let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Um, and then, um, well, we'll do verse 7 as well, part of our Venite. For he is our God, we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then you get the part that's quoted. So, come, we're going into the presence of the Lord and in his presence, we're going to sing songs of praise. Why? Um, because of his greatness, because he has made everything, because he still upholds everything, and not just all the things out there, but also or all the things past, right? Creation is not a, a once-and-done event um, that as soon as the, the six days of creation are over, God rests um, and, and is forever finished with his work. But he's still active in his creation. And and it involves now not just mountains and land and seas, but it involves us. We are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. So more than more than all all these other things, the, the crown jewel of his creation is mankind. Um, and more than than just he's a, a king over. All the other supposed gods, a king higher than all the other false gods, um, not just worthy of our worship for all that he has made out there, but that we are his, and he has called us by name, um, he, he has made us
0: his own, and he has made himself our God. And so, uh, in the, again, in the context of the psalm, we are coming into his presence for one of these traveling festivals. We've come to Jerusalem, as the Lord has commanded. We're even going into his presence probably in or around the temple. So then the the rest of the psalm, I think, becomes a warning against going into the Lord's presence in an unfaithful way, in a way that does not have true faith. So, And this, again, is the part that the writer of Hebrews is going to quote particularly Help us in then and this the part, as you pointed out, is not in the Venite. Maybe we should start including it. You can talk to, to Chaplain Denzer about that at the International Center, uh, Pastor Hammer for, for getting that into the next hymnal. But but take us into the section of Psalm 95, the, the part that's quoted in Hebrews 3.
1: Yeah, so so we begin with with this word today that will be uh, significant in the argument that the, the writer to the letter uh, of the letter to the Hebrews, you know, very emphatic on this word today. So here we are, we, we arrive at the temple in this traveling psalm, and today, in hearing his voice, do not be like those who at Massa and Meribah, um, the, the waterless places where the people are thirsty and where they are uh, notorious for their grumbling, do not harden your hearts as they did when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. So don't, don't let the hearing of the Word of God um, fall upon deaf ears or hard hearts. Don't let it be just just a, a routine that you engage in to sort of check the box, right? So here you are, you're, you're coming into the Lord's presence, you're singing His songs, but let, let just like we, we say in... Um, in the scripted part of private confession, um, when we confess our, our failure, right? I have not let His love have its way with me, or I have not let His Word have its way with me, um, that we don't allow His Word to, to shape us and to reorder our desires and our, um, and our loves and our actions, um, but we we just sort of, um, we give lip service, we give ear service to it without a- actually letting it um, affect us. And then worse than that, in the presence of the Lord, right? And that's, that's what the, the psalmist is saying here. The people were, for the 40 years that they were wandering in the wilderness, they were in God's presence. Um, they had, they had his, his pillar leading the way for them. They had his his prophets among them, he was very much with them in their presence. And yet, and, and he had, right, he had even demonstrated for them how good he was for them by bringing them out of slavery in Egypt. And yet, they grow complacent. Um, they grumble at his timeline. Um, when, when really, the, the reason that they're wandering for 40 years in the wilderness is while they're waiting for, for the first generation to die off um, for, for, their faithfulne- uh, for their unfaithfulness already. So they put me to the test, although they had seen my work, the psalmist says. So they saw, but they continued to test. And then for 40 years, this is, this is just a, a, a damning word from the Lord, for 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in, the, in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. That's I mean, that's crushing. Yeah. Don't be the people that God loathes. And how might you be those whom he loathes? If, if you hear his word, but grumble against him. If you hear his word, uh, but but don't believe he's actively working. If you if you gather in his presence, um, but refuse to believe he's really there,
0: yeah. That the the thought of God's presence, I think, is a really important aspect of this psalm, and as it gets used in in Hebrews as well, because. Going back to the, the Meribah and Massa incidents that are brought up in Psalm 95, that's the that's the question that's asked by the end of that section in Exodus, Exodus 17. They were asking, is the Lord among us or not? Right? So, so God's presence among the people is the key question. In Psalm 95, they're going into the Lord's presence in worship. In the book of Hebrews, Dr. Kleining suggests, and, and I, I think this makes a lot of sense, that this is should be understood as a sermon preached within the divine service so here you've got a group of people who have come into the lord's presence in the divine service how are you going to hear his word are you going to hear it with faithful hearts or hardened hearts are you going to hear it as if he's right there among you which he is or treating him more as as someone who is is distant far off not to be taken very seriously i mean thinking about the the context of the divine service and the lord's presence you know, there's that moment within the divine service, the, the salutation, the Lord be with you and with thy spirit, that, that sometimes we're tempted to just kind of pass over and not really think too much about. But given what Psalm 95 says here, and the, the thought of being in God's presence to hear his word, that, that moment takes on a lot more gravity, I think.
1: Well, because it is. It is a bestowing of the Lord's presence to those who are gathered there. I mean, it's not as if God is not present until those words are spoken in the salutation, and then, and then later um, in, in the preface, and then a third time um, at the close of the service. But, but it, is, it is just a, a re-giving the presence of the Lord to the people who are there in order to be in his presence. Where, where, they are, where two or three are gathered, there I am with them, Jesus promises. And, and what do we say? It is the Holy Spirit who calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies us, and he has brought us into this place, and, and there he is with us. So, so that, that word is not, it's not just a—you're right, this is often how we hear it, as, as a, just a greeting, a way Christians might greet one another. But it is, it is in the context of the divine service. It is a bestowal of the Lord's presence. And then, and then how perfectly do the people respond— um, and with Thy Spirit as well, to say right. And you think what? When does when does the the pastor say this to the people? When does he give the presence of the Lord to them? Um, he does it three times before the collect, when he's about to gather all of their prayers together, um, at the beginning of the service of the sacrament, when he's about to speak the words of Christ that that make bread to be His body and wine to be his blood, and then right before the closing benediction, which the Lord gives to his priests and says, with these words, you bless my people. So before three very uh, high points of the service, it's sort of like, you know, we, we pastors get get butterflies in our stomach, and our knees begin to knock, and we, and we question whether, whether the Spirit was really laid upon us at our ordination or not. And so we speak the Lord's presence onto his people, and they respond, and with thy Spirit, um, as, as a kind of affirmation um, that the Lord's Spirit is with us in order to do these remarkable things we're about to do.
0: Yeah, and, and then to receive those remarkable things in faith, because that's you think about those moments, again, prior to the collect, and then come the readings where you do hear the living voice of God, where the Holy Spirit speaks to you in the scriptures, as is happening here, right before you receive the body and blood of the Lord, right before his name is placed upon you in blessing. We need the Lord's presence to be with us so that we would receive those things in faith, rather than with an unbelieving, hardened heart. And, and again, that, that really I think, heightens those moments in the service so that we do engage in those as a, as a prayer and receive those as the blessing that they're in, intended, so that we don't just kind of, you know, oh yeah, I'm here in church and, and this is what you always say. No, this is what is needed at this moment so that we would receive the Lord's gifts for our blessing, continue in that faith that, that he's given, rather than turning away, falling from it.
1: And you make a really excellent point there. That the the way to have receiving hearts is not for me to to make my heart more receptive. The way to have ears that that delight to hear the word is not for me to sort of, you know, scrunch up my face tighter and and open my ears farther. Um, but it is the Lord with His presence who causes His word to be effective. So the harder I try, uh, the harder I will make my heart, and the less receptive I will make my ears. So the solution is not, right, you be with you, it is the Lord be with you. And it is His presence, it is His gift of faith that brought us here in the first place, and He is the one who will preserve us in that faith. So He is the solution to, to the disorder of our that we want to harden our hearts and stop our ears. Mm,
0: yeah, so the, the writer of Hebrews is going to encourage his congregation to precisely that receptive attitude that comes from the Lord, not from you, but from the Lord and his presence in his word among you. We're going to look more at how the writer of Hebrews takes this quote from Psalm 95 and applies it to his hearers on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Jeff Hemmer this morning. We'll be right back. Please stick around.
2: Did you know that an investment with Lutheran Church Extension Fund exclusively supports LCMS ministries and church workers? That's right! LCEF ensures LCMS churches, schools, and organizations have access to the financial resources they need to sustain, strengthen, and start ministry work. In other words, you can feel good investing with LCEF because we share your Lutheran values and love for the church. Learn more at lcef.org.
0: Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, October 9th. We're studying Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 to 19 with Pastor Jeff Himmer. He serves at Bethany Lutheran Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, and is also the assistant to the president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Pastor Himmer, prior to the break, we looked at the lengthy quotation from the end of Psalm 95 that the writer of Hebrews brings up. This is what the Holy Spirit is saying to the congregation of Hebrews. And now in verse 12 of our text, he begins to apply it to them. He says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Take us into the warning that he speaks here. So note
1: first, he, he calls them brothers. So we're, we're all in this together. Even, even preachers need to receive the, the preaching of the word the law to prick our consciences and the gospel to to deliver forgiveness to us. So if all of this is the case, those those people whom God Himself brought out of Egypt were nevertheless caught up in unbelief and grumbling and trusting in themselves and despising the Lord, wishing they'd never been brought out of slavery in Egypt, um, despising the promise, the land that he he was bringing them into, if if those who were in in the very presence of God and who saw with their own eyes his miraculous works to deliver them, you also take care so that there not be in you an unbelieving heart, a heart that would draw you away from, from God himself. So God's presence is here, um, and you are in His presence, but by the unbelief of your heart, um, you might be led away. Whether you know just spiritually led away, um, and and a kind of apathy and indifference to the word, even while being in God's presence, or eventually that that culminates in a in a physical being led away. So eventually you'll, you'll despise the Word so much that you're not even there, where the Word is, is being proclaimed, where the gifts of God are being delivered. And notice that we hear this, this uh, section here. In verse 12, we begin with unbelief, and then in 19, we end chapter 3. We end this little argument um, with unbelief. And then in between all of that, are, are the fruits of that unbelief. So an unbelieving heart then doubts God's Word, begins to act contrary to God's Word, and finally um, that rebellion against God uh, becomes a, a full-blown atheism. So every every act of sin, every act of intentional sin, is, is a breaking of the first commandment, is an action of unbelief, but it, hasn't, it doesn't come to full-blown uh, rejection of God's gift of faith immediately. That's sort of a, a gradual process, one that we are, right, as, as long as we are here, hearing the Word of God, we are, we are being rightly warned against the, the nature of our sinful hearts. So we are, we are warned to remain as the Lord's sheep in His pasture, being fed by Him, and not giving in to whatever actions of unbelief would, would proceed from our own hearts.
2: Hmm.
0: Yeah, that, that thought of the gradual process in which faith becomes unbelief, I, I think is something that we see throughout the letter of Hebrews. You, you mentioned how there's a bit of a crescendo through the letter. Back in chapter 2... Therefore, the first verse, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Right? This this process of drifting, it usually doesn't happen in one in one day where a person who has been faithful now suddenly is an atheist, but rather it is a drifting away. And so the need to to take care. To watch out for this evil, unbelieving heart that would lead us to fall away from, uh, particularly from the living God. That that seems significant that he calls him the living God that we would fall away from. Talk a little bit about that. Well, he is. Uh,
1: he is a God who, uh, is not a you know, a figment of our imagination. He's not an historical figure who no longer exists. But we we confess especially of Christ, that he is the same yesterday, today, forever, as, as the writer of this letter will in, uh, in just a few chapters. We confess that, that the Christ who died now lives, having triumphed over death, and his, his living is always in the present tense. We speak of our ancestors as those who lived in the past tense, we speak of those who will follow us as those who do not yet live, but Christ, Christ is our past and our present and our future, always the living God. Um, and just, just as Christ is, so is the Father, and just as uh, Christ is, so is the Spirit whom he sends. So this, this living God is the same as the speaking Spirit right? The verse that with which we began our study this morning, that the Spirit is, is not one who has only spoken in the past, but He is still speaking to us now by means of His Word.
0: Mm, yeah, and this, this phrase, living God, is going to come up later. Again, thinking of that crescendo in, in chapter 10 later, he will say, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So we probably should keep this warning in mind as we continue forward, especially to where it starts to crescendo there in chapter 10. We don't want to fall away from him, because we don't want to fall into his hands as an unbeliever. So part of the solution that he gives, then, is in verse 13. He says, exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So exhorting each other, doing that today. There's part of what he picks up from Psalm 95, all for the purpose of not being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Take us into verse 13.
1: Yeah, isn't isn't this a fun little phrase? As long as it is today, right. uh, then then we are to be using the word of God um, to exhort and encourage um, to. Rebuke, reprove, forgive one another um, on, on every day, on only the days that end in why, is sort of <laughs> how, how this, you know, uh, on just today, okay. not tomorrow, not yesterday, but if, it, if it's today, then, then the word is for us right now. Um, and, you know, of course, tomorrow never comes. Uh, right. Tomorrow is the day after today. So on every day, then every day, and it's just a it's a, a beautifully poetic, um, a fun homiletical device as well, um, for for the author of this letter to say, as long as it is today, then then you have the word, and it's not too late, right? There's there's a there's an encouragement in that. Today you are here. Today the Lord is with you. Today his word is in your ears. Today he gives you a new heart. Today he calls you his own in baptism. Today he feeds you with his body and his blood from the altar. Today, today, today.
0: Yeah, well, and, and that, you know, the urgency of it, but also the the nature of the gospel of the Word today, that, as, as you said, He's he's present with you today. He's He is there for you today. He's not waiting until tomorrow, and you didn't miss Him. He was there yesterday. He's there today for you, and that, that presence is a, a gift to you. So, I mean, the, a recent Old Testament reading in that we heard in the three-year lectionary: Seek the Lord while He may be found; call upon Him while He's near. He's there today. So this isn't, you know, it is a it is a warning and exhortation, but there's that that good. It's a very good news piece of of gospel that He gives. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So so today, then, as long as it is today, so every every day that ends in Y, uh, what are you to do? Exhort one another. What what does that look like to exhort one another every every today? So that that's. Uh,
1: exactly what the author of this letter has been doing to this point, right? Reminding them, God is with you. Do not harden your hearts. Um, he He alone is God. Fear, love, and trust in Him. So this this exhortation is what Christians do to one another. And and how do we do it? Well, if we understand this as, as a, a letter or a sermon for a, a group of people whom the Spirit has gathered together as the body of Christ in a place to receive his gifts, a Sunday morning congregation, then one of the ways that we encourage one another is, is how we confess the faith to one another, right? We, we do so as we confess our sin, we confess our faith in the words of, of the creeds, which have been handed down to us, which unite us with, with Christians across time and space. We confess our faith to one another um, in the songs that we sing to one another, um, and, and we, even, we even confess silently to one another when, when we all sort of sit facing the same direction to receive the Word, right? Even, even that silence is, is a confession saying, this is what we're here for. We're here, we're here to be filled with the Word, that God would speak and we would listen. And then we confess to one another as we respond with our prayer and our praise and our thanksgiving. Um, so it's it's an exhortation. It's an encouragement. Um, all these things are sort of wrapped up together. And why, right? Why why does it matter that we gather together? Um, because of who God is. Um, because because he he right back to Psalm ninety five. He's made the world, and he's made us, and he has made you his child, and he has. Only good things for those who belong to Him. So there's right there's there's both law and gospel in in this exhortation, right? Here's here's what God is giving. So let us let us not
0: reject what He gives. Yeah, yeah. He's he's here for you. Come receive what He has. And I, I think within you know the use of the term brothers, as you pointed out, and the thought of exhorting one another. You know, we're in this together. I, you certainly see a, a concern for each individual Christian who would hear. But I think also then there's a concern for the congregation, for the body as a whole, so that I, like, so that you don't fall into sin, and I, I'm, I'm concerned about that. And I'm also concerned that if, you, if that does happen to you, that's not good for you, but it's also not good for the whole congregation. It seems that there's both the, the concern for the individual Christian and for the whole congregation of Christians in this section.
1: Oh, absolutely! That that we would all be there with hearts receptive to his word, but also that that we would we would be concerned for those, right? Because you know, no matter how small a congregation, a pastor never knows um, all of his parishioners as intimately as someone else in the congregation knows them, right? So you know, a mother will know her children better than than a pastor will will know those children or or siblings one another. Um, or, or neighbors one another. And so we, we encourage one another against this, this gradual um, cancerous unbelief that eventually manifests into full-blown atheism and rebellion against God as we begin to see it in one another, right? We, we, as parishioners, we begin to see the slow falling away of those who are less and less attentive to the Word, hearing it less and less doing it less and less loving it less and less um, and and really the the first line of defense are our brothers and sisters in Christ who ought to exhort us in that moment that we not we not give up meeting together that we not harden our hearts as as the people of God did wandering in the wilderness mm-hmm
0: the phrase hardening of hearts or hardening comes up in verse 13 and he says that that the hardening would happen through or by the deceitfulness of sin talk about that that hardening and, and how the deceitfulness of sin does that
1: yeah so this I mean it is it's this initial unbelief this initial uh, rejection of the word that begins to live out begins to manifest itself in in sin so the the first, unbelief then gives way to living in that unbelief doing things as if god didn't exist or as if god didn't give us his word or as if god weren't for our good or as if god weren't our father right then then we, we that that doubt is sown that that first rejection of his word is there and then it begins to it begins to manifest itself the fruit of that unbelief is this sin um and the effect of that sin is, is the hardening of the heart. Um, I mean, we we understand this in a in a medical sense, right? Um, we we speak of you know our arteries getting hard, atherosclerosis. Well, it's the same it's the same Greek word there that that means that hardening, right? It's the it's the sclerosis of the heart, it's the hardening of the heart, and it's not it's not happening um, because of because of God and His Word. It's happening because because we we are poisoning our hearts with this deceitfulness of sin, right? We're we're ingesting a diet of other things unhealthy to our hearts. We're ingesting a diet of, of the world and our own flesh, um, and and the seeds that the, the devil would so the seeds of doubt that the devil would sow, ingesting all of those things, um, and and the deceit, the trickery of sin, um it's never, it's never straightforward. It's always deceptive. Um, it always seems like a good thing, especially in its in its infancy, in its earliest stages, and that's that's what begins to to harden our hearts.
0: Yeah, and and as we said earlier, it's it's something that happens gradually over a period of time. That you know the 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 hardening of the arteries inside or maybe you can think about the calluses that you develop on the outside both are good examples of how that that happens gradually and and sin is deceitful it seems like a good thing at the time but it it ends with this hardening and and as the writer's warning here ultimately of falling away from the living god and that's what we want to avoid instead of falling away it sounds like verse fourteen then is the positive, a reminder of what you actually have. Don't fall away, because what do you have? Verse fourteen: We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Help us into those words.
1: Well, this, Christ is uh, what we what we mutually together as brothers in Christ. We we share in Him. We we participate in Him. Um, it is. In in the community of believers, um, we are actively participating in Christ. The church is is not, not figuratively His body. The church is actually His body. Baptism is not a not a symbol uh, of what you know how God thinks about us somewhere else out there. It it's actually the the bestowal of a new birthright, actual death and resurrection happens in baptism. As the baptized people of God gather together, they, they really are participating in Christ. And what is, what is Christ? Who is Christ? Well, he is, he is the, the perfect one who became man for us. Um, in in a, a chapter or two, we'll get into the argument about Christ being our great high priest— but for now, we know he's, he's the one who was the sacrifice for our sin, who has exalted our flesh um, to the very right hand of God. A human being now sits at God's right hand. That human being is the very Son of God himself, perfect God, perfect man together, and we participate in him. He gathers us together, and we are we are literally his body. He is literally the head of his church. So, Because we have come to share in Christ, this this holds us, this encourages us, it holds us in this confidence we had at the beginning, keeps us firm in that faith until we die, firm until the end. Just just as we we confess of, of the Holy Spirit in the Catechism, that on our own we can't do this, I believe I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. But... His Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified, and kept me in the true faith. In the same way, he calls, and now here the verbs are all present tense, calls, gathers, enlightens, sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth, and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. So it's not up to me. It's not up to me to make my faith strong. It's not up to me to to have this confidence, to make this confidence a, a bedrock. That will carry me through until the day that I die. It is this this sharing in participating in Christ um, that happens in His church because His Spirit gathers all the baptized together, um, and it happens happens to me. And then my my being there. Um, helps establish someone else's confidence. I become the instrument by which someone else's faith is strengthened. Someone else is is kept in that faith by the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, and then someone else is, is the same thing for me, the instrument by which the Spirit keeps us in the true faith, because all together, all we brothers are sharing in, participating in Christ. Mm.
0: Now, in verse 15... The writer reiterates part of Psalm ninety-five, the first verse that he quoted there. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And then from there, he he goes into a series of what seem to be rhetorical questions, uh, inviting again the the hearers to consider, to take care lest they fall into this unbelief of the people of Israel. Help us into this this section beginning in verse fifteen and in through through those questions.
1: Yeah, how many how many questions do we have? Are there five? Let's see. Five questions.
0: One, two, three, four, five. Yes.
1: Yeah. Who who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Uh, And then a question that sort of answers the first question. Wasn't it those, those very ones who left Egypt, led by Moses? Um, And then another one, with whom was God provoked for 40 years, which is the language um, as the uh, the Septuagint is quoted back in verse 10. Therefore, I was provoked mm. with that generation. Um, in, the, in the Hebrew, we had the, the word, I loathed them, yeah. right? Um, whom, whom did the Lord loathe for those 40 years? Was it not those who sinned? And then who consequently, because of their sin, were the ones who fell in the wilderness? Um, so we have, we have these first four questions are the first question is, is answered by the second question, the third question is answered by the fourth question, and then we sort of leave this fifth question hanging, and to whom did he swear they would not enter his rest, um, but to those who were disobedient? And so then the, instead of, you're, right, you're sort of expecting a sixth question to answer that one, although the question contains its own answer. Of course it was those who were disobedient. Um, and so we then are warned Against being those who are disobedient, whose disobedience finally gives fruit to, to full blown atheism.
0: Right. As you said earlier in verse 19, then we come back to that thought of unbelief. The reason that they were not able to enter was because of unbelief, which I think is an important thing to keep in mind. In all the wilderness wanderings and really throughout the Old Testament, there are a variety of ways. That the people of Israel sin against the Lord, and and all of them are are evil, and they they are inexcusable. But what it always comes back to, no matter how ugly that sin shows itself to be in the treatment of neighbors, it always comes back to the to the unbelief, and that's where the the writer of Hebrews really wants his congregation to focus: is don't fall into the unbelief that you you see in them, and and the consequence of that unbelief, right?
1: We have it here in nineteen, uh, we have it. In eleven, um, that you they are not able to enter into that promised rest, unable to enter. Um, I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. But see where what's the whole of Psalm ninety-five except uh, a a psalm that says, "Let's go, we are entering into the presence of God." So this that's that's the warning here, right? And I think you know. It's not. It's not self-serving when your pastor says, "Come to church." Um, he doesn't. He doesn't get paid on commission. He doesn't. You know, the more people who are there, he doesn't get like you know, ten percent of of the the offering plate or something. Right. Um, or he doesn't. You know, get paid per per customer or something. Um, he's not a salesman like that. He wants you to come to church to enter into the presence of the Lord so that on the last day you can enter into the presence of the lord we are we are enacting that last day every time we gather to church we're practicing for the resurrection every time we gather together in the lord's church we're learning to delight in the word as we gather together in the lord's church and and christians are useful to one another now and will be useful to one another in the resurrection that's the nature of the lord's body and so that that this section ends with this ominous phrase, they're not able to enter, um, is sort of you know what, what gives your pastor heartburn. When you don't enter into the presence of the Lord now, you're setting yourself up eventually in the future to be unable to enter into the presence of the Lord. And what's our, what's our encouragement? Well, if this is a day that ends in Y, if it is, if it is today, then you have opportunity right now Repent and return and be gathered in the company of the Lord's Church, where He gives you the heart that that you need to have. He gives you the ears that are receptive to the Word.
0: Mm. Yeah, what a a marvelous pastoral just i mean the whole the whole letter is pastoral but this section particularly you see that even as he he speaks these very strong warnings he does so because he wants this congregation to enter into the lord's presence to that eternal rest that's where this is headed in chapter 4 he wants the congregation to enter into the eternal rest so come to the lord's rest right now. Go on Sunday morning, hear the Lord's word in faith. Don't reject it. Don't be sluggish of hearing, but rather listen to the Lord's word, receive his gifts. He is present for you there with his gifts. Receive them in faith. What a what a pastoral encouragement, warning at the same time from this letter to the Hebrews, which is not just the letter to those Christians then, but this is still the word of the Holy Spirit to you and me as Christians today, speaking to us this warning, and this encouragement to receive Christ in faith. Pastor Jeff Hemmer is pastor at Bethany Lutheran Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois. He is also the assistant to the president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. He has been helping us today to study Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 to 19. Pastor Hemmer, thanks for being our guest today. Pastor Apple, it's a pleasure as always. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about Hebrews 3, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.